This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. And would you open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 10. We're going to read verses 8, and then we're going to go all the way through chapter 11. And Tammy Shindell has volunteered to be the one to read the longest one we've had yet. So, And she did so good on first service. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months, and I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Now, when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom in Egypt, where also the Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts. Because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed, the third is coming soon. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. Thank you, Tammy. God, that's your word. We pray that you would bless uh, our time together as we study and, and just listen for your voice 
uh, here today. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Welcome, everybody, by the way. It's a second service on a rainy day. Rainy days are normally like the rapture practice around here, like, like where everybody go? Um, and based on everybody's Instagram feed at 30A, I'm surprised anybody's here this morning. I thought literally everybody was at the beach, so I'm glad I was wrong about that. And by the way, my wife, Shannon, is back today after being out for surgery. Glad to see you there. Uh, if you're online, man, we're so glad that you're there as well in your homes. Uh, Dennis and Joanne Swain, we miss you guys. Williams family, Lockwood families, we miss you guys. All the other families that I haven't gotten to your names, we just we love you and we miss you. Um, boy, this is a fascinating little vignette, isn't it? Chapter 10 and 11. <laughs> Eating scrolls and paper. and um, I, was, I don't know if this was the trip you were with us in North Africa, but... Um, is anybody else in here that was with us in North Africa on that little trip, David and Janet? No. Um, Mark Masterson, who is our, uh, Mark and Dana, who are friends, longtime friends. Dana was the one who was held hostage by the Taliban back in 2001. I don't know if you remember that as the, but Dana, um, and Mark handed me this piece of paper and on this piece of paper, it had the names of every one of the pastors that they work with in the underground church network over there that we help to finance. Um, there's government, of course, there's government, everything, but there's government uh, restrictions to make sure that they're not funding terrorists or whatever. So they had to, this list with all these names had to get back to the United States and get to their finance department. And he hands me this list and he says, Darren, here's the thing. If they stop you at the airport and search you, I need you to eat this list. I'm gonna need you to eat this piece of paper. To which I thought, could we not have used like legal pad paper then? Could we have actually gotten something a little smaller and a little, um, because I don't know how that would have gone down, quite honestly, if you do it in pieces. But I, the short story is I didn't end up having to do it. But uh, I thought about that a lot as this idea of what it means to eat like God's word is what it's it's really saying. And, and, And then honestly, as I was thinking about even what you would call a sermon like this, you know, it's it's sweet and sour. You know, you're eating scrolls. So I thought maybe uh, the sermon should be called uh, Egg Scrolls. <laughs> Thank you, Michael Rojas. Thank you. That is dad joke 101 right there. My son is sulking under the front seat. So, but no, instead, I, I figured you are what you eat. Um, because what this idea, what's implicit in this what was here was what's explicit is this is going to happen like this this he said prophesying about something that's going to come so there explicitly there's going to be these two witnesses are going to be standing and prophesying and, and preaching and uh, that's all coming but what's implicit in this is this idea of eating this scroll which represents the word of God um, that's all over scripture you know Jesus we just had it in communion the bread like you eat it, it, it you know I, the Catholic faith believes in transubstantiation whatever but you know, we don't necessarily believe that but we believe that. You, spiritually, something is changing in you when you take the word of God in, inside of you. you know, Jesus is the living water. That, like that scripture is just permeated with that. And this idea here of eating this scroll, this passage here, specifically, I think, speaks of, of Revelation, uh, the little scroll. But the more you eat of this, the, the more you'll look different. You can look at me and say, this is a guy that's not eating a lot of clean foods. I mean, you can, you know, because what I'm eating clearly changes me, right? In a way that maybe a lot more vegetables would, would change me in a different way. But that's the idea, though, that what you're eating changes you spiritually. And if we are consuming the 
the word, if you will, not just an academic exercise, not just like your toddler with the fork playing with the spaghetti on the plate. Isn't it amazing how toddlers are never hungry at lunch? Like it's after lunch and then they're starving, but it's not just playing with it on the plate, but literally taking it in, that it's going to change you in remarkable ways. It takes time, just like food. It's going to give you compassion. These are the three things I want to cover. Compassion for people. It's going to awaken you from slumber. And, and it's going to give you hope for the future. When I say compassion for people, that starts in Revelation 10, verses 8, 9, those last few verses, when he talks about eating something and it turned his stomach sour. The, the idea of your stomach being upset is actually the language that the Bible uses for grieving. When Genesis 49.30, when Joseph wept, it says that he wept from his bowels. A little crass for our modern vernacular, right? But if you're a songwriter, think about the next time you're going to use the word heart and just change it with bowels and see how that really impacts the quality of your, of your song. But... It's crass, but the fact of the matter is it's accurate. Have you lost somebody that you loved before? Like it's a kick in the gut. That's the language we use. We would use the language of, man, that just hurts. You're sitting at a stoplight, the song comes on and it hits you and, you didn't, and it, suddenly you're just back there again and you don't feel it in your heart. You don't feel it in your head. You feel it in your gut. That's the language that he is using here. And if, if you want to, let me, let me show you how I, why I believe that. If you've got your Bible, go with me backwards to the book of Ezekiel. And you're like, Darren, you, you've done it now. I have no idea where Ezekiel is. Text your children back in, in kids and they'll tell you because Joey's got them all memorizing it. And if they don't answer the text, just go to Matthew and turn left, okay? Don't go to Genesis, you'll go too far. But Gen you go to Matthew, you turn left and you're gonna go right past some of the small prophets and you're gonna land in Ezekiel. Here's why I want you to go there and I'm gonna tell you this while you're finding it. John was writing to a group of people. Imagine like, let's say it's Franklin. Let's just put it in our own context. Um, and let's say, for instance, Nashville invades us and they take all of our stuff and they move us out into other places. Someone else moves into our homes and now we are scattered throughout the area. That is what happened in John's day, AD 70. Titus Flavius, Rome, entered Jerusalem, ransacked it. Uh, Josephus said that there was as many as a million people that were killed and scattered. The temple was destroyed. Everything that they knew and that they thought was sure was suddenly unsure. That's who John is writing to in this, in this prophecy, in this letter. But that's not the first time that happened in Israel. If you go backwards a few hundred years, the Babylonian empire had invaded, had ransacked Rome, had destroyed the temple, had taken the Jewish people and scattered them in the nations. And it's interesting because that is the first time you hear the language of these scrolls. 
And if you haven't found Ezekiel yet, I can't help you. I feel like I gave you plenty of time. But it's Ezekiel 2, verse 9, when he talks about that, the, the prophet speaking to those people who had lost everything, lost their temple, lost everything they thought was stable. And it says then, uh, verse 9 of chapter 2, then I looked, Ezekiel speaking, I saw a hand stretched out to me on both sides, was a, a scroll written on both sides, were written the words of lament and mourning and woe. And he said to me, chapter 3, verse 1, son of man, eat what is before you. Eat the scroll, then go and speak to the people of Israel. And so I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he says, eat it, it's going to fill your stomach. Does this language sound familiar, right? This is, the, the, the book of Revelation is literally just weaving all of this together. And if you'll skip with me down to the end of that chapter, we don't have time to go into it all this morning. Ezekiel's response after hearing this was this, that, um, Sorry, does anybody have a selfie stick? My glasses are not working as well as they used to, and I can't get my Bible quite far out. <laughs> the Spirit then <laughs> filled me. You think I'm joking, but it's really true. The Spirit then lifted me up, took me away, right? And then he goes into that last part of that verse and says, and I was... Um, I went to the people of Tel Aviv, not the modern Tel Aviv, by the way, near the Kibat River, and there where they were living, I saw among them, I uh, sat among them for seven days, and I was deeply distressed. I was grieving. Compassion. That, let, me, let me ask it differently. Back in March, did this year kind of catch you off guard a little bit? Are you with me? In Israel, anybody in here that was in Israel with us back in... Uh, here, a handful of you. I'm walking around singing my corona like it's a joke, right? Because I didn't know. I don't think anybody knew. And here we are six months later, and there's this sort of unsettling feeling of something going on in the world. I would like to suggest to you that that pit in your stomach that maybe some of you feel, that constant sense of anxiety, is called grieving. You're grieving the world you thought you lived in. I thought we lived in this world and now I'm in this other world. And so I feel this uncertainty in this thing. And it's just, it's called grieving. Now grieving, remember the five stages of grief, right? The next one after denial is anger, right? And I would say that some of the anger that we have felt uh, is well-founded. Now, I would also suggest to you that there's a difference between unhealthy anger. We talked about this last week, the vulnerability of God, right? If you are raging, right? If you're online and your post starts with, what's wrong with people? That probably is rage. <laughs> Maybe. If, if you're raging, that's actually not anger, that's fear. Fear to try to control something. Anger moves you like God to show and to move and to do something about what you care about. Now, what do we say that healthy anger is called? Passion, to move, to do something. And what is it that this is going to move us with? Come passion. The, the idea that compassion with people, as I take in the word of God, it's going to move me to have compassion for people. Not rage, not bitterness, but compassion. I'll give you an example of that. This week, we all suddenly looked at Netflix and thought, wait, what? They did what? They put little girls and they did what to them? And my first response was, uh, was not compassion, by the way. 
My first response was rage. Now, there is a place for anger, don't get me wrong. But if it's about fear and I'm throwing a tantrum, that's fear. Anger, healthy anger to passion moves me to do something about it. And so much to my son's disappointment, we canceled our Netflix account this week. And I know that hundreds of you did as well. See, dude, I told you there, it's going to be popular. Um, <laughs> he's got like one day to finish like some anime thing or something. But anyway, um, I'm going to put it this a little different though. Here's what I mean by this. There's a, a, a statement that I, a, a lady named Nancy Piercy said, and maybe some of you have heard of her. But Nancy said that Christians should speak out on moral issues, not because they feel offended or because their cherished beliefs are threatened, but because they have compassion for those who are trapped inside of those destructive ideas. That's what compassion does. It's moving us to do something to change, to be a part of compassion. When, when John says this word, I'm going to eat it, it's going to make me sick in my stomach. I'm going to be grieving what I, the world that I thought I knew. And he tells him, you've got to get up though because you've got to prophesy about many nations, people, kings, lands, there's work to do. Compassion will move you to do something. When Jesus in Matthew 9, verse 36, uh, he looked out on the people. It says that he was moved with compassion. And that language, once again, is the language of, it's, it's crass, but it's the 10 a.m. service. I can get away with it. And it's true. Moved, like moved in your bowels. Like that's the language. Jesus moved with compassion. That is the exact word that is used in that language. You're moved. Like, if you've ever had to go to the bathroom, especially if you've been on a trip on the world, you know, you're like, I got to go like right now. It's crass, but that's the language that he's using. That compassion in you moves you to the point where I don't care what they say. I don't care if they're mad at me. I am getting to the bathroom immediately. That's the idea of Jesus looking on the people and saying, I am moved with compassion. I am so moved with compassion that I'm going to be crucified for them. That's how moved. I don't care what it takes. I love them and I want them to be out of these destructive ideas, moved with compassion. If I am taking in the word of God, specifically revelation, and it moves me to just uh, sit around and, and figure out how many earthquakes or try to figure out who the Antichrist is, if that's what it's moving me to do, then I feel like you're missing the point and you're not getting it from your head into your heart because if it's in your heart, it will move you with compassion. If time is short, then people need to know that there is a Jesus that has come to seek and to save them and he is coming back for those who are his own, moved with compassion. How could we not be moved in that way, right? And not only that, but awakened from slumber. That Verse three of chapter 11, it speaks of these two witnesses. Uh, I'll appoint them, uh, these two witnesses, they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth, and then verse four really jumps out. They are the two olive trees and two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. Now, do you guys know what a hyperlink is, right, on the webs, on the internet? Uh, you guys, anybody not know what a hyperlink is? Okay, okay, we're good. When you see a word like this, that's, what, that's a hyperlink to take you to where that was said in the Old Testament. 
Again, the same prophecies, same prophets, the same era was another guy. And if you happen to still be in Ezekiel, you can go to the right just a couple of books and find the book of Zechariah. And in Zechariah, the same era, Israel in captivity, the same place where the world had been turned upside down for them, God is moving on the hearts of this prophet of Zechariah. And he tells them in chapter four, verse one, that the angel of the Lord, the angel talked to me, returned, he's speaking like the word of God is coming and woke me up like someone awakened from sleep. And he asked me, what do you see? When the word of God comes to you, what's happening to most of us right now is we are being awakened into a world. We, we thought we were in this other world, but now we're in this world. We're sort of grieving what we lost. We're letting it move us to compassion because we're now we're being awakened to the world that we're really in and awakened to the world that is the real world, which is the world of revelation, which is the king on the throne, the Jesus that loves us, that is still completely in control. We're being awakened to that. Now, what does that have to do with chapter 11? of uh, Revelation. If you go to the very end, you'll see in, in this chapter four, he talks about two olive trees. He talks about a lampstand. He talks about everything that John is speaking of. And he says this in verse 14, who are these two olive trees? What is this that you see? And the angel says to Zechariah, these are the two witnesses, the anointed ones to serve the Lord of all the earth. These are my two witnesses. And what does John tell us right here in chapter 11, verse four? They are the quote, two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. John is saying that is the fulfillment of this prophecy. And for us, being awakened now in our world, that's going to happen. That is coming. Who is it? It, it could be Moses and Elijah. A lot of really smart people think that. But one of my favorite smart people, Tracy Rogers, makes a great case that it's Enoch and Elijah, two people in the Old Testament who never died. They were taken up to heaven without dying. So if it's appointed unto man once to die, it could make perfectly logical sense that that could be these two guys coming back. Because in a minute, you're going to see the beast comes out of the earth and he kills them. The Lord resurrects them. We don't know who they are, but I do know this. They're wide awake in the world, in the real world that they're in. And we, allowing the Lord to let the word come into our hearts is going to wake us up to the world that we thought we were in to now be in the world that we know that we're in. And we might lose our faith, lose our trust in governments. We might lose our, our trust in scientific endeavors and in politicians and but our faith in Christ, the solid rock on which we stand. And as I was actually saying that last night, I, I, Saturday nights I do a little walk and prep and pray around the, the Falls Grove neighborhood. People have spotted Sasquatch, but it turns out it's just me. But, but I was thinking about this last night and I've lost my faith in that. And then I remembered one of the greatest poets of all time, the Sting. Do you guys remember Sting? Do you remember this song? If I ever lose my faith in you. And I know he wasn't singing about the Lord, but I thought he could have written this for me and where I am right now. It said, the first lyric is, uh, you could say I lost my faith in science and progress. You could say I lost my belief in the Holy Church. You could say I lost my sense of direction. You could say all of this and worse. But if I ever lose my faith in you, right? 
And then he goes on in the next verse. This one really resonated. <laughs> Some would say I'd lost, I was a lost, wait, did I go to the wrong one? No, I was a lost man in a lost world. You could say I lost my faith in the people on TV or Netflix. You could say I'd lost my belief in our politicians. They all seemed like game show hosts to me. When was this written, anybody know? This is like 1993. If I ever lose my faith in you, there'd be nothing left for me to do, lost inside their lives without a trace. Does this not, it just really spoke to me. And then the last verse, I never saw no miracle of science that didn't go from a blessing to a curse. I never saw no military solution that didn't end up as something worse. But let me say this first. If I ever lose my faith in you, there'd be nothing left for me to do. It just reminded me of the great hymn, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. That if you've lost your faith in these other things, put your faith in the solid ground of Jesus. And then the last thing is the hope for the future. I'm as hopeful as I've ever been. It's just bizarre. I should be terrified, but I am invigorated at what's happening in the world right now. And I was reading through this and I thought, oh, th this is even what John was trying to say to the people that have lost everything they owned. If China invaded tomorrow, is God still on the throne or is he not? That's the answer that they're having to ask themselves. And look what he sees in the temple in heaven. Remember, the temple has been destroyed. Titus took the, 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 the table of the, of the showbread and one other of the items of, that no one but the high priest had ever seen and marched it through the middle of Rome to mock them. The temple was gone. Everything they knew and believed to be stable was gone. But look what's in the, the, the temple, in the heavens. The Ark of the Covenant. You know why Indiana Jones didn't find it? Everyone that has searched for the Ark of the Covenant, uh, this, is, this, is, this is a thus saith the Darren. This is not a thus saith the Lord. I think it's in heaven. And here's why I think that. Whether this is real or figurative, here is the message of the Ark of the Covenant. Throughout history, Tom Holland in his book Dominion, Tom Holland, as best I know, is not a Christian but he goes back and does a history of the earth and basically explaining why Judeo-Christian values have changed us for the better. Had the secular humanists, had the, you know, the, the pagans of Rome won, we wouldn't have human rights, we wouldn't have women's rights. That's the basis of this book. But he says that the thing that made the God of Israel so unusual to every other God in the history of gods was he made a covenant with his people. He stopped and said, for you lowly little puny humans... Every other God couldn't be bothered with such a trouble as that. I'm going to make a covenant with you. And he marked that covenant with what they called the, quote, Ark of the Covenant. The reminder in the Holy of Holies that God made a promise to man. And what I love about this being in heaven is that on top of the Ark of the Covenant, was what you might call a lid, but it was called the mercy seat. It was where the blood of the lamb was sprinkled. 
And what did we see in these last few chapters of Revelation? The lamb that was slain, purchased by his blood. And here we are, we're looking in, and right in front of the throne room of God is the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the reminder that you and I, Hebrews 9.5 tells us that it is the mercy seat, that that's where the angels would over in the mercy seat. And Hebrews 4 thinks it tells us that you and I can enter his throne room boldly that we might be able to obtain mercy in our time of need. That promise is secure. That promise is sure. And that no matter if they literally wipe us off the face of the earth here, that in the real world that is more real than anything we're experiencing here is still a God on the throne, is still a lamb that was slain, and is still a mercy seat that means you and I in Christ can enter boldly to get help in our time of need. That's the hope for the future. I pray that you can experience that same hope. I, I, I believe with everything in me that this is really going to happen. Jesus really is going to return. I mean, the, the dude fulfilled like 400 prophecies in his first coming. For every one that he was fulfilled, there are eight that are unfulfilled. Do you think he's not going to fulfill the rest? I've said it, but it's worth repeating. If a guy comes, says, hey, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to be resurrected on the third day, and then he goes ahead and does it, you probably should listen to him. And he said, I'm going to come back. I believe that with all my heart. And until that moment, just like John here, we know that there's an Ark of the Covenant that is in front of the throne of God that has the mercy seat of God. It is all about his grace. The thing about the mercy seat was it wasn't about what I could do to climb up on the seat. It was what he did to have his blood shed on the seat. And because of that, I don't have to pray harder Right? I don't have to be better. I just have to receive the work that he did for me. And that's true whether there's a pandemic or not. That's true whether you're in a brick kiln in Pakistan or not. That's true whether you're in Williamson County. That is true whether you are in Western Kentucky. Where It is true around the world. And that's hope for our future. This week, I challenge you, get this word inside of you. Don't try to fake your compassion. That doesn't last very long, trust me. Let the word go into you and it just ingest it in and see if he doesn't wake you up. See if he doesn't waken you from the slumber. The word isn't, by the way, like wake you up, you were sleeping. It's like you're walking around like you were sleeping and that's how you, then you've been awakened. Let's see if he does that for your life. Moves you to compassion for the people around you. Not rage and terror, but compassion. Be moved with compassion and we can do it because of the hope that he has for us for the future. Stand and let's pray so I can get you out into the rain and the flash floods. As you're leaving today, Tammy is here again. We raised how much last week? 800 bucks. Okay, we're almost to one family being free. So she's in the back, these lovely hearts that uh, she's actually handmade. They're 20 bucks. You buy one of those and 100% of that is gonna go to free a family in Southeast Asia this week. Uh, be praying for that, by the way. 14 families are in process right now. Uh, within the next few days, you'll see a lot of families' names starting popping up that are being freed, even maybe even as we speak. So be praying for those families. Heavenly Father, we are moved with compassion this morning. Moved not with anger, we're not moved with fear, we're not moved with rage or terror, but with compassion, with a healthy anger that says that this is not the way it was meant to be. Lord, I 
Pray again for Tim for a safe place online. The mental health of our children, of our families, is it's not the way it was meant to be. Lord, the compassion you've given him, let us, some of that fill even us today as we help him in the mission that you've given him. And Father, for our country, for our government, for our nation, oh Lord, we pray that your spirit will be poured out all over this place. I'm believing, I am energized that there is revival already here. Lord, I don't believe that you start move, it's that you uncover them, and I think there's a movement afoot of your grace in our country, and I'm excited to see what you're going to do with that. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen.